0: My name is Toby Shapshack. This is my podcast where I speak to interesting people about interesting things. I'm talking to Brett Loebscher, whose day job is CEO of Tencent Africa, but he's one of the smartest people I know, and he really understands artificial intelligence and the impact it's starting to have on our world. Before we kick off, here is a word from our sponsors.
1: And in your stock market update, investors are averaging down in a bull market up from yesterday's bear market, showing volatility in the liquidity of the hedge fund's haircut, leveraging the lows, moving the margins and short-selling the spread of share market sectors while playing footsie. Fortunately, you don't need to get the stock market to get shares in the world's biggest companies like Apple, Facebook and Coca-Cola. Download Shift, the global money app from Standard Bank and get the world. Standard Bank. It can be. Shift operates under the FSP license of Standard Bank.
0: I was asked to curate a sub-festival of South Africa's National Arts Festival called Creativate, which combines creativity and innovate into a single word. And I asked Brett to talk about how artificial intelligence is playing a role in digital art. His talk was mind-blowing and the examples he gave were really quite impressive. Most people probably don't know half of these things about artificial intelligence. And they also don't know how artificial intelligence is encroaching on this one place that we've always been told AI won't have an impact, which is human creativity. The scope of it is just mind-boggling. So I'm just going to say to Brett, where do we begin? How do we discuss this? Hey, Toby. Thanks for
2: having me on your podcast. You know, when you you asked me to do that talk, it was... It was quite an interesting experience going through and doing the research because, you know, the point you made earlier that most people aren't aware of the state of play with regards to artificial intelligence frameworks and their ability to create something that we as human beings would consider to be art is not well known to many people, but it was uh, completely unknown to me. So it was an amazing opportunity for me to delve into that and learn a little about what the state of play is, you know but one of the first things that i tried to do in the talk if i can uh, if i can remember is just to try and position what artificial intelligence actually is because there's so much discussion that goes on around about these computing frameworks becoming things that are going to completely take over humanity in the in the next decades and so on and um, I think it's quite important to just frame that so that there is a clear understanding of what we're actually talking about. And when when people talk about artificial intelligence, they're generally speaking about an entire framework that is uh, that consists of a, a number of subsets of uh, technologies that are actually being deployed to deliver specific services. So for ex- example, and some of the ones that, that many people would have seen is things like uh, text-to-speech, speech to text and these are things that we use on our cell phones you know these days you pop a button on your phone and you tell your phone what you want to do and it understands it translates your your uh, naturally spoken language into text and then goes and finds the information that you want and returns some kind of result this is a subset of artificial intelligence technologies but you know for the purposes of that talk uh, focusing on um, artificial frameworks actually creating something akin to art. The, the two specific domains that, uh, that we discussed at the time was uh, machine learning uh, and deep learning. And, and then subsets of that are things like um, neural networks and so on. And what these really are is frameworks that actually allow computer architecture to do something called reinforcement learning. So reinforcement learning is um, is something where the objective or output is given to the machine, and then it figures out its own mechanisms to try and achieve the goals that it has been given by the AI researchers or uh, whoever it is that's that's trying to generate this particular kind of output. And there's been huge progress made in terms of understanding how to build these frameworks to deliver results that are ever more impressive. Um, So when I did the research, it was kind of mind-blowing to discover just how far along these things had come. It was a a very, very interesting talk to give, given that there were, I think, uh, some of the lecturers who actually lecture on uh, different formats of the arts were were in the room. So the discussion afterward was also pretty interesting.
0: And and it was, because this is such a new frontier of human development, isn't it? I mean, they are artificial intelligence, but they are created by us. And in many ways, we try and replicate the way we are with a computer, which isn't always the best way to go about things, is it? Perhaps not. But I think
2: what what you've just said is such a powerful and important idea to consider when thinking about uh, artificial intelligence, because these... These frameworks are not intelligent in the same way that we would define intelligence as humans. They're just um, really target-seeking algorithms. They're trying to figure out how to achieve the desired output um, and the framework for what that output looks like is given to them by by us. But apart from them not being intelligent in the same way that we would describe or being self-aware or conscious, I mean, we're a very, very long way away from anything like that. And that's kind of a another objective of uh, some AI uh, research environments where they're looking to develop something called an, an AGI, which is an artificial general intelligence, which is something that can start delivering human-like results across a wide range of fields and disciplines. So we're nowhere close to anything of that nature. But when we when we use uh, these technologies to actually try and deliver a result in a specific domain with a very specific output, Uh, The results are are staggering,
0: to to say the least. One great example, of course, is is, uh, Google's AlphaGo. It was designed to play Go, the ancient Asian board game that that is considered a much more sophisticated version of of chess because it's the implications and ramifications of of playing Go, which has much more complex moves and and only two colors of pebble allows you to you know capture territory on a board. It's quite a thing. So to train AlphaGo took a couple of years. It was some of the best Go players in the world worked on training this algorithm, this 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 AI to understand it and eventually it beat uh, the current world champion as it were and, and in the game that it beat this guy, um, it, the computer played a move that was described as beautiful. Yes. Now I think that's a real tipping point in terms of, of the kind of extraordinary lateral thinking that goes into playing a, a game as complex as go or as, as chess you know in the in the in the 80s and 90s Kasparov was playing against IBM's big blue and eventually IBM beat uh, Kasparov but that was more a function of brute force computing the fact right. that the computer just had much more processing power could remember you know, all of the games that were programmed into its database. So for AlphaGo to get to that point was was significant. And then Google followed up with another another AI called AlphaGo Zero. The fascinating thing about AlphaGo Zero is that it had no human input like AlphaGo did. It trained itself using repetitive learning. And the fascinating thing is that the time it took to go from a novice to a grandmaster was 40 days. And all of this was self-learning, so this represents a huge step forward, not just over the Big Blue era of computing, but over its you know most immediate predecessor, which was AlphaGo. Uh, I know they're confusing names, but this is how it was. But but there's more to the Big Blue approach to solving these problems, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. So I mean the 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 IBM approach when um, Deep Blue beat Kasparov was, it, it? I mean, you described it as a, a, as a brute force approach, which, which is 100% correct. So this is literally the computer evaluating millions of potential chess moves per second, and then figuring out what the best strategic fit is. The, the problem with the, the game of Go is this is a non-feasible way of approaching the problem because the number of potential board positions is so large. So if I remember the figure correctly when I did the talk, the number of potential board positions in a game of Go is 10 to the power of 120, which is you know, larger than the estimated number of atoms in the observable universe. So there is, there is not enough computing power on Earth to, to take the brute force approach in trying to figure out what the best moves are. So for lack of a better word, AlphaGo had to create some form of computing intuition to figure out what the best, most strategic move was. Um, And then as you say, the follow-up framework that they deployed called AlphaGo Zero was really uh, uh, next level because what they did with this is only give the rules of the game. To the framework, and it then played against itself to try and figure out what the best strategies were. And it took it just 40 days to get to a level where it was able to beat the original AlphaGo, and is now considered to be, by a significant margin, the best Go player that there has ever been. You know, for lack of a better word, I guess it's not really a, a player in the same sense as as a human. And and there's a follow-up story to the AlphaGo Zero story. They they actually. Subsequently, since since I gave the talk last year, they've given it uh, chess uh, as a problem to yes, self-teach. Yeah, yeah. And in four hours, yes, it taught itself to play chess at a level which now supersedes any other chess program and framework that has ever been made. It is significantly the best chess player that we have ever seen. So for, for, for comparison, the number one chess player on earth right now is a chap called Magnus Carlsen. And um, if you look at the statistics based on their chess rankings, so AlphaGo Zero's chess ranking versus Magnus Carlsen's, he would on average win two games out of 100 against this uh, framework. So the, the important thing for me is this is a new way of thinking about what these things are because they're now teaching themselves how to do things To the degree where the researchers who have built the technology don't understand how the decision-making process is happening. And this is really
0: significant. It is because it does represent something of a a tipping point in the way AIs approach problems and how they're starting to solve that problems, obviously inside a framework that's been set for them to work within but in a way that is exponentially better than the original idea was. Yes, and also very
2: interestingly, if you pop onto YouTube and have a look at a... um, There's dozens of videos of this now. Chess master and grandmaster level players evaluating games that AlphaGo Zero has played. And the moves that this uh, framework is making are super counterintuitive. People are now breaking down the moves that are being made and it it approaches the game of chess in a non-human way. But it's better than any human. And, And so when you apply that kind of thinking of you know what this is capable of and start thinking about how that applies to other domains of human experience and the lives that we all live on earth at the moment it's kind of frightening to think where this is going you know and what these machines are going to be able to do that supersedes human capability in the future
0: i mean you say frightening but i i kind of think it's a bit exciting because if we can start presenting these ais with some of the very real problems that we have around healthcare and around other things then there's a there's a real potential for for very clever solutions. Another Google project was was looking for. Uh, there's a particular kind of blindness that comes out of of um, diabetes, and it's specifically it's very prevalent in India, for instance. And a, a human ophthalmologist can look at a, a person's eye and scan it, and be able to tell you whether people would will go blind because of this this particular uh, diabetes retinopathy. And uh, what Google did was they trained very interestingly the Google photo algorithms to recognize this and they were they were matching a, a human ophthalmologist which about 15 minutes to scan an I see it and of course that's accelerating so this is a this is a very good example of technology that can have very real impact in the world and prevent people from going blind from a disease that is preventable if they have access to the doctors and of course you know given the population size of people the chances of them seeing an ophthalmologist or a doctor may not happen. And yet this is a very good example of this AI approach to solving problems.
2: Right. I think the the medical field is particularly interesting in this regard. You know, there's already frameworks that have been deployed to evaluate x-rays and outperforming human radiologists. And also from a diagnostic perspective, you know, IBM's Watson framework has also uh, been deployed against that particular objective of trying to diagnose what the condition is that a person has. And the reason these machines are so powerful at doing this is because they have access to data sets that no human doctor could ever
0: hold in their
2: heads simultaneously
0: effectively Um, they have a better memory right and and as a result they can draw on so much more other information that we don't have around them right and draw inferences by comparing
2: the data sets against previous diagnoses yes. that have happened all in real time um so you know they, they would always have a deeper set of knowledge than a human could ever have and now we've got these frameworks that are figuring out how to actually put those pieces of knowledge together to deliver an output that is value to us as humans.
0: And of course, there's a lot more of these kinds of examples and these kinds of things that are being done in the in the broad sphere. I mean, for instance, uh, there are a couple of companies where if you want to take out a loan, they ask you to record a video and the AI can scan the person's face for micro expressions to see whether or not they're lying or what they're concealing or hiding. And the, the applications go beyond that. But I want to return to the digital arts and The fascinating way that AIs are starting to produce creativity in a way that we didn't think was possible. Right. So, I mean, one of the first
2: examples I gave in the talk was um, putting up uh, 16 different artworks that uh, would, would look to almost anybody... Uh, like they'd been hand-painted by humans. So this was uh, done by uh, Rutgers University using a specific type of architecture called a, a generative adversarial network. The interesting thing about that particular approach to delivering an output is, they would feed this algorithm a bunch of human art, and the algorithm, and this is the, the reason for the word adversarial in, in the middle there, uh, the algorithm is set up to specifically deviate from what it has been fed and create something that is uh, far removed from that. But in this experiment, they generated multiple artworks that professional art evaluators believed completely were created by humans and
0: rated them pretty highly and said that these young artists had potential up-and-coming young artists. It's fascinating and when Brett did this he said I'm going to show you art made by a human and then a computer and everyone in the audience assumed the first set of art was absolutely by a human and of course professional art evaluators had the same instinct and that's enormously interesting because they shouldn't be able to do this. These are the jobs that everyone tells us are safe from AI and yet there they are making paintings not just paintings but also music
2: yeah I mean I think the, the, the interesting thing is there's a long history of us as humans responding emotionally in this way you know up until uh, IBM's Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov most people thought that this would never happen it wouldn't be possible for a computer to beat a human at chess because you, know, you use intuition and experience and human intelligence to actually inform the moves that you're gonna make. And then what happens is immediately after that threshold is breached, uh, we then make up a set of excuses and, and rationalize why our original position was wrong. And it was, it was quite interesting to see those kinds of emotional responses in the audience where people uh, were taken aback by seeing something that they absolutely believed was created by a human um, and then try to rationalize their own emotional position after
0: the fact. And I think this is, it's going to happen more and more. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of anthropomorphic arrogance that we have as humans that yeah, we yes. assume our brains are the most superior computer on the planet. Uh, and, and, you know, we've been. I suppose we have a we have a mythology about ourselves that our evolution has got us to where we have you know and it has um, uh, we certainly defeated the Neanderthals they they lived through an ice age in the UK of all places I mean I've been to the UK in summer and I have to wear a jersey so 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 we are pretty sophisticated but we we have a a real arrogance and a sense of superiority about our abilities, and yet the computers that we have created are are proving to be very intelligent in their own right and and pretty good lateral thinkers.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I I think it's really important to to remember that, that these are still extremely verticalized outputs. So generating these particular artworks, that was the objective. That same framework, if you threw some other problem at it, it wouldn't even be able to start. Whereas uh, as humans, our brains are really good at
0: being generalist. Yeah, generalist and including lots of different discipline. Exactly a, right. We have a multidisciplinary intelligence. So yes. I don't want to run us down. You know, Not all AIs can be Jackson Pollock, can they? Well, I'm no art critic, so I'm not even going to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but some of the other great examples you discussed was, was – AI is com- creating music, mm. and the fact that, that that one of the the French bodies that govern uh, copyright applications by musicians was was put in a position where it gave credence to an AI uh, and allowed them to claim copyright on music that this AI created. Yeah, th- this to me was honestly the most
2: mind blowing um, thing that I found in the in the research because. When you listen to the music that's been generated by this AI framework, it's honestly beautiful. It's really emotive, orchestral music, and the idea behind it. So this product is called IVA, and if there are anyone listening out there wants to just check this out, I'd highly recommend it. It's AIVA, and stands for AI Virtual Artist. and And the idea behind creating this was to generate scores for movies, um, but as you say the first non-human entity to be uh, given the, the rights as a recording artist um, by the French uh, body that does this. And most interestingly, uh, that was done in November
0: 2016. So and That's not very long ago. Let's just have a listen to some of that because it is really good. And again, Brett presented this and said, I'm going to play you two pieces of music, one by a human and one by an AI, and you tell me which. And of course, after he played the music you're about to hear, he said to people, who do you think created that? And, and there were several musicians in the audience who said, it has to be a human. Just Just take a listen. that that is incredibly good composing and arrangements isn't it yeah so
2: the reason the topic of ai in the arts was so interesting to me is because the point of creating art for us as humans is is really to evoke emotional response and the fact that these frameworks are now learning how to do that speaks a lot about what drives us as humans, but also what these machine capabilities are becoming. Because I honestly had an emotional response to this music. I I really do feel it's it's beautiful.
0: I thought this was the
2: human composed track. Right, so now as to whether this is true creativity or not, it's, it's a separate debate, right? Because all these machines are doing is trying to generate an output based on the formulas that we're giving it. So we're, we're kind of creating frameworks and saying, we want this type of output and it will just refine its outputs until it gets to a point where we're excited and satisfied by the output. So it's still not creating things in the same way that a human would, But I don't know how important that really is in the context of this, because it's generating content that is perceived by humans to be art worthy of other humans having created it. And that means that there
0: is industry to be disrupted in this regard, right? Indeed, I mean, let, let's just reiterate that, that it is a very vertical, very niche, specific kind of, of, of creativity, quote unquote, that, that the, the AI is practicing. And yet it is this repetitiveness of learning this kind of stuff that it that is so powerful a learning technique for, you know, machine learning.
2: Yeah, and and ramping in speed, w- which is something I think all of us should be paying attention to, to. You know, going back to the AlphaGo versus AlphaGo Zero story. You know, a couple of years of human training to get it to uh, sort of grand grandmaster level, yeah. uh, 40 days of self training, and then four hours with chess to become the best chess player the world has ever seen. Uh, the, the, these are important things to consider when we think about the impact of artificial intelligence frameworks um, in other domains. We've mentioned uh, medical uh, domain. the th- The theme of this discussion is really the arts, but you know this is having application across multiple industries simultaneously.
0: I mean, there's a, there's, I suppose, a secondary debate about whether film scores are considered art or not. But you know, that's that's a, that's by the by, because there's an interesting debate within art about what is art and what is craft. So, I first heard this conversation. It sounds very romantic, but when I was about 15, uh, my father's French, who went back to France to. To see his family, and my mother was very friendly with a, an artist called Dirk Meerkata who was a very well-known South African abstract artist. Dirk was uh, was living in Paris for six months on a on a basically an art fellowship, staying in a garotte, as artists should uh, in Paris. And we went to um, uh, Sacre Coeur, the, the the cathedral, and outside Sacre Coeur, there are there are lots of artists sitting there doing portraits of people, and one of the fascinating conversations around art that that I listened to on this. On this trip with my father Who was a a great art lover My grandfather was an artist Who lived in the Chelsea Hotel And paid his rent in art If you ever find yourself there in New York On the mantelpiece uh, There's a bust of President Truman By my grandfather The piece on the wall behind Is also by uh, my grandfather Rene And my father and and Dirk Were having a conversation About what is art and what is craft And they were saying These men uh, and a few women Drawing people's portraits and caricatures that's a craft that's not an art and it's it's been an interesting conversation because it's always informed what i understand about my job as a writer i'm a a writer but i'm not i'm not a novelist i'm not a creative writer i'm a feature writer i'm a news writer i write about technology i truly believe what i do is a craft it's a it's a highly specialized craft it's you know it's a i'm a master craftsman if you want but it's not art and yet Something like the, the, the music that you've just heard, there's a real sense of art in it, isn't there? I agree with you. And I mean, going back
2: to what I said earlier, the, the objective of art is to evoke an emotional response. So if that happens, then, you know, the mission of the artist is accomplished, I suppose. Yes so i think this this point you've made is super important you know the differentiation between craft and art is probably where the line will be between human artists and computer-generated art in in whatever form whether it's uh, you know painting work whether it's design work uh, whatever it is so i think there will still be a place always until the end of time for human beings as artists but for the craftsmen uh, who are creating art i think
0: you know there will be disruption in in those industries i'm going to come back to craft in a second but the other major role of art is to make us think about the world right and here we have artists whether they're human artists or ai artists making us think about the world which is are we the only people who can create art? Do maybe animals create art? Maybe, you know, there's, there are all these examples of different species doing things that look like art. I mean, there's this wonderful little fish that creates a, a basically like a mandala on the floor of the ocean yes. as, a, as a mating ritual for the female fish. And it has to do this in a day because the tide will wash it all away. So it creates this very beautiful, very complex, quite extraordinary mandala on the sea floor on the sand, um, using its its fins to to kind of dig up the sand, as it were. I mean, that's art. Yes. So I
2: mean, there are species of bird that do the same. They create elaborate, beautiful nests uh, to attract a mate. But in some regard. Arguably, these are one-trick genetic ponies. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but there are there are examples of of animals that create art that is slightly different
0: i don't know if you're aware of this pig called pig casso yes i was was gonna come to that i mean that is that art or is that craft i mean i'm (laughs) i'll leave it for you to decide as i say i'm no art critic so i wouldn't know where that lands in terms
2: of whether it's art or not but pigs are intelligent animals you know and and this one has learned to use a paintbrush on a canvas and generate something to the degree where uh, the hotel that's uh, near my office down in Cape Town they actually have one of Picasso's artworks <laughs> framed up on the wall. So you you tell me whether it's art. I don't.
0: Well, know. you know, you know how people in, in Joburg think about people in Cape Town. So uh, <laughs> it, it could well be, but I think the the Picasso example is 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 really an, an example of the novelty. Of something being done first, and which, of course, is often what people think about AI. You know, the first time a computer does something. You know, yeah. the Macintosh said hello when Steve Jobs revealed it on stage in 1984. It was a, a massive thing. Now, you know, the, uh, the computers used to talk to us. We talk to computers. That will be the natural interface we have with computers because it's the natural interface we have with each other. Sure. And I mean, that seems to be the path that we're on with
2: uh, with regards to computing. If you just think of the previous decades that have led us up to where we're at, uh, computers become smaller and closer to us. You know, so it used to be this hulking thing that needed a room of its own in order to operate. Eventually something that could sit uh, on the floor next to your desk, then a laptop which sits on top of the desk, now a phone that's in your pocket. And the next level is making it even smaller and more accessible. And we're starting to see smarter gadgets like smartwatches and so on um, that are just bringing computing closer to us as humans. And I think this is one of those
0: trends that seems to be inexorable. It's just fascinating how, this kind of stuff is happening i mean if you want to buy a, a jingle to put on a podcast for instance you you know you can have that generated by an ai yes so i mean some of the some of the music that i played uh,
2: throughout the presentation uh, this is what i did uh, you know there are a couple of different companies doing this already where you got you go online Uh, You drag some sliders around to choose what kind of music you want, you choose the genre, you choose the mood, you choose the time stamp at which you want the the music to crescendo um, and you push a button and 30 seconds later you've got a unique piece of music that you can use for a jingle or whatever. So let's
0: demonstrate a few of those just so you get a sense of what they're like. So it is in a way what we know about ai isn't it you know within very specific niche verticals where where repetitive learning enables it to to train itself with these skills Uh, it's what we're starting to expect from ai just not in the arts yeah this is a
2: trend that will continue across domains i think the arts is a particularly interesting domain to be discussing this uh, topic uh, around because it is something as you said at the beginning of our discussion that people would generally assume we're miles away from uh, but in fact this is already happening to a degree um, that is acceptable to humans to expert humans as being considered good enough for other humans to have created it and that's a it's an astonishing place that we're at in in time and history I remember the one of the last things I spoke about on the talk is just if we're here now what does it mean about where we'll be in 10 years from now and then spoke about exponential growth and how critical it is for people to really deeply think about what exponential growth actually means in the context of these technologies
0: indeed I wonder what Shostakovich would make of that Brett Loebser, thank you very much. This has been a fascinating conversation.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: And in your stock market update, investors are averaging down in a bull market up from yesterday's bear market, showing volatility in the liquidity of the hedge fund's haircut, leveraging the lows, moving the margins and short selling the spread of share market sectors while playing footsie. Fortunately, you don't need to get the stock market to get shares in the world's biggest companies like Apple, Facebook and Coca-Cola. Download Shift, the global money app from Standard Bank, and get the world. Standard Bank. It can be. Shift operates under the FSP license of Standard Bank.